We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. We're here. What up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Corner Podcast. Kel Dansby here. The old man, Andreas Hale, is not here because it is his birthday. Make sure you guys go online. Wish the old man a happy birthday. Beard just gets grayer and grayer by the day. Don't even ask how many years old he is. Just judge it by how gray the beard is, and that tells you how old the old man is. But make sure you guys wish him a happy birthday. Joining me today, my boy, friend of the show, Damn near my my co-host whenever Dre goes on hiatus. Essentially, yeah. <laughs> Brett Lawson, student of the game, his new show. Make sure you guys check that. The third out. man of the show, if you will, right? Yeah, man. Oh, well, cool. Cole will come in here and put you through right. The table. Yeah, that's, that's true too. But yeah, never yeah, mind. Yeah, right. don't, should, don't start should, beefing, can't, producer can't Cole, step, baby. Can't step on the brand, right? <laughs> nah, and no, I, but I, I love it, man. It's been too long, actually. Yeah, it's been a while. And you know, you mentioned Dre, uh, Andreas. Happy birthday. We can't say he's long in the tooth yet. He's not up there quite yet, but. We mentioned the beard. You know, it's like salt and peppery. At what point does it become more salt than pepper? You know what I mean? Oh, he's going like full ghastly white. He's going full Ron Isley. Right. In, in a second. I give him three Ron more years. Isley. He'd actually like that yeah, one. Three, yeah, three more years. No, I mean, he's he's long in the tooth. He's a curmudgeon. So you say he's there already. No, he's old. Like, uh, I was watching PTI uh-huh. yesterday or the day before, and Tony Kornheiser just turns to Wilbon. He's like, when did you just become a cranky old man? Get off my lawn type. That, and I was just like, you know what? Dre's already there. Wow. Like, Dre's, Maybe Dre's I haven't gone there. too long. No, no, he's, he's, he's cranky and old, but I love him for it. But yes, 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 he's very cranky and old. And he gets crankier by the day. It Actually, you know what? He started to compliment WWE. Oh, wow. Maybe he's opening up. Maybe, maybe he is turning over a different lead. Enlight- enlightenment. That's In it. the elder years, right? It's baby steps. Baby steps for him. But no, it's great. Another year. We're coming up on, I think, the nine-year anniversary of the corner. Yeah. So it it's- was a spring of 2014. Yeah. yeah. Summer, 20, right. summer 2014, right? March 2014. There you go. We launched the week before Mania and in the buildup to Floyd Pacquiao. Because that was our first live on-site. So that would have been, been 2015. So it's 2015. Yeah. Then. So right before Mania right, 31. So we're creeping up on eight years. That's big, yeah. yeah. That, was a, that was a 
that those that was a lively times. Oh, exciting, man. exciting times in professional it's wrestling, like exciting times in boxing. The rise of McGregor at a time. I know that seems like a distant memory for a lot of people, <laughs> but you know, yeah. Yeah, it was a Los significant was time. 26 when I started this show and the old man was old. Yeah. So it's, that, that lets you know where, where we've been and where we've come from. So yeah, it's about to be eight years, I guess, here in March. So that's going to be exciting. The old man will be back for everyone watching and listening. He'll be back Thursday. We're talking tons of wrestling, elimination chambers this weekend. Producer Cole Bay Bay will join us as well. Going to go through that entire WWE card. What happens? What doesn't happen? What's this mean for WrestleMania? So much going on. But today, it's all about MMA. We're going to recap UFC 284, which happened last weekend in Perth, Australia. There's a lot of... I, I, I like this card because coming out of this card, it's a sports talk radio dream. Yeah. Of Fodder. what ifs, what, yeah. what does this mean? Who's better than who? So tons to talk about when we get to UFC 284. That's going to make it exciting. We're going to look forward to the UFC 285 because it's here in Vegas. And in just a couple weeks, I feel like they're just dropping a million pay-per-views on our head. So we're going to talk about that a little bit as well. First, though, Super Bowl. We just had the Super Bowl. Yep, still fresh. It's fresh in our minds. Nope. Arizona did well. Ain't shit got nothing on Vegas. It's our time, baby. Yeah, it's coming here now, next year. We're now on the clock. Yeah. I'm calling it now. Next year's Super Bowl. Best Super Bowl ever. As far as like the festivities? Festivities, no ambiance. They're never going to want to go anywhere else but here. Nothing. I'm calling that aspect, that aspect of the whole thing now. Say what you want about Allegiant. Say what you want about everything else as far as how Vegas is handling professional football. But as far as the entertainment spectacle, it should have been in Vegas long before the Raiders ever came here. Like yeah. the, the, the I mean, Vegas, Sam Boyd I get, would have been weird. No, exactly. And I understand that as far as you needed the stadium. And without the Raiders, the stadium never happens. But, you know, theoretically, there was never a place better for it. And to be fair, you also had to have the, the stigma on the gambling kind of lighten up a little bit. You had to have those opinions soften a little bit. So it kind of didn't have to have the right time and place sense to it. But at the same time, you always felt this was the perfect place because it has everything that the famous Super Bowl cities like Miami, like New Orleans, like those places have. New Orleans is the one to top. Yeah. Because people say they have a blast in New Orleans. They're the gold standard. But I've been to Bourbon Street. Mm -hmm. I've been to New Orleans. It's like the size of this studio. Like it's tiny. Yeah. So... Yeah, so when you go there, it's like, all right, but Vegas is that times 10. The parties on the strip are going to be crazy. And you don't have the urban sprawl like you do in other major markets. It's a lot more tight-knit because everything's in the valley. Well, yeah. you know, it's parts of Phoenix. You know, Glendale's out there from a lot of the festivities that they have. Oh, my God. Obviously, 30 minutes away from downtown Phoenix or Scottsdale. Much like the manias kind of with uh, when they were at Levi's. The same with the Super Bowl when it was at Levi's. That's in Santa Clara. So much of the festivities going down are going to go and down in the Bay Area and San Francisco-related, you know, areas. So, it's different, but Vegas, it's kind of all in the same metropolitan hub in a way. 10 minutes. Exactly. 10, 15 minutes, whatever you want to do. Maybe they do something out in Henderson at like the practice facility. Yeah, out on the fringes, Southern Highlands, but yeah. But everything is right there. I can't wait till the Super Bowl next year. This year, though, I'm just happy the Eagles lost. That's the lead. That's it. You can't bury the lead in this business. And yeah, as a Giants fan, you have to Eagles be it, lost, right? baby. I'm yeah. happy they beat Dre's. 49ers, they beat my Giants. They could not win the Super Bowl. Mm -hmm. The show is happy now. A little bit happier that the Kansas City Chiefs are the champions again. 
but the talk, great game, stupid holding call. It was the right 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 call. They're going to call that every time, too. Everyone says, like, in a game like this, you have to let it slide. They're never going to let it no. slide in a game like That's that. Ridiculous. It's obvious. On a double move with, a, with a, a colored glove on a white jersey, no shot. That's like getting hit in the back of the head in, like, with, like, a, a crazy illegal elbow. Yeah. Like a 12-6. Yeah, 12-6 yeah. elbow. They'd be like, nope. It was the last round. Mm. Knockout counts. Like, no, if that's the case, John Jones is undefeated right now. You know, like, no, there, there's a loss in his in his loss column because it's of a that. rule and it you gotta it was, call it when it was you see broken, it. yeah. But the biggest talk is Rihanna Super Bowl halftime. I love it. Forget Mahomes, forget Hurts. Yeah, Let's get we, we, at this point, it's yeah, it's a couple days removed. We've had all, all that analysis. Let's get to the nitty-gritty here. I'm telling you, Lawson, there was two highlights mm. of this game for me. One was Rihanna's halftime show, in which people complained because she didn't dance. She didn't bring out special guests. One, the woman was pregnant. I don't care. Two, she had bangers, and she sung. Yeah. Like, it wasn't lip singing. It wasn't Britney Spears, like, just doing stupid little dances and not singing a word. You know you know what I was thinking? <laughs> yeah, right. What was that, like, 2000? Yeah, yeah, she I, didn't really, sing one was word with that. That was, I have a, a dark, uh, dark, like memories of that Super Bowl. I don't like to reminisce on that because that's when the Giants got absolutely waxed by Baltimore. That was yeah. what Nelly, Aerosmith, and Sync, Britney Spears. There was like, nothing that, good about that Super Bowl. Yeah, nothing about nothing. yeah. I mean, in hindsight, if you love defensive football, you know that Ravens defense was great, but we could skip that. We could watch that whole America's Game documentary and skip the end, right? Um, now that we've had, you know, a few days to chew it over, I was thinking, because, you know, so much of the, so much of what we do, especially with you and Andreas do, especially on this very show, is make the comparisons between different eras of music and contemporaries. Rihanna and Beyonce are contemporaries. Beyonce, obviously, a little bit earlier in the game. But so often, they're as the, the, in terms of the star power, obviously, much of their music has kind of ventured off into different branches at different times of their careers. But the comparison has seemed to always been there, be there. In terms of the two shows, I was thinking, this was something that came on my mind yesterday, Beyonce's show really didn't, and I know this was almost 10 years ago, didn't really truly kick into the extra gear until Kelly and Michelle came out. I don't, and I'm not, not I don't mean this disrespectfully, but Beyonce kind of needed backup. The beehive going to be on. But yeah, I know, like, I know. That's why I looked in the camera there. I'm like, please <laughs> take down the grain of salt. Uh, but I'm just saying, Rihanna didn't need backup. That's what's everyone, most impressive. Everyone said, where was the feature? Where was the cameo? Where was the guest? She didn't need it. And the songs where we often, you know, all the lights run this town that we often, you know, think of as a montage type of, type of piece, yeah. but she's on the hook in that. Yeah. So it could be a timeless. You can't bring out Kanye. No, no not exactly. And it could be, and, and Hove is not going to guess on a Rihanna <laughs> halftime show. Hove is, I mean, he, he's the one thing that could rival what we got last year with yep. the G-Funk uh, Super Bowl. So obviously looking at those aspects, she could sing the hook of those songs and could always fit. She could do every song that she did at works. And she still left uh, hits on the table. That's that oh. whole hit, that whole list, that whole set list was an ultimate flex. You, yeah. you needed three hands to count them all. All right. It was insane. I've always been of the opinion. Yeah. Rihanna washes Beyonce. And it, the, the hits. And verses. Right? Like, yeah. um, the hits don't even stack up. Yeah. People say it's close. And maybe, all right. When you really look close. at it, I don't think it is. No, I, I'm going to stick with she washes Beyonce in a verses. But whatever. So if you want to say it's close, that's cool. Rihanna still wins a verses if you ask me. Beyonce is a better show woman. Yeah. Like, you could say she's a better performer. Yes, she's a better performer. Like, 
the dance moves, mm-hmm. the choreography, the set pieces. Presentation. Yeah, all of that was really even good at the Super Bowl. Oh, it was amazing. Um, it looked grand. It felt grand. But the songs, like, I I didn't care. It took care. Destiny's Child to get yeah. it going. Rihanna got it going from the opening, the opening track. I didn't, I didn't care for whatever album that was she dropped where Hove cheated on her, and then that's when she came out. It was like Formation or some shit. Like, I don't like that song. Like, that's not a... I understand it's not all about me, but objectively, that song's like not a hit. Like it's not dope. And I get it. She did like "Who Run the World," girls. Like a, a lot of her hits are very different than Rihanna's. Yeah, like, it, it's very like they're not anthemic. No, like Rihanna's it's it's very the key to her audience. Yes, like if you're a Beehive member, you if have you to be in on the like story. Me, yes, like Rihanna to me, women like Rihanna, men like Rihanna. You can like rap and like Rihanna's music. You can like just pop and like Rihanna's music. Like Beyonce to me is very like you gotta really a little be more a niche. Beyonce it's fan. A, it's a little more niche, and that's a very global niche. It's, it's, it's weird. What, it's a widespread, exceedingly popular niche. But you have to. It's kind of like I I hate making this comparison in a way. Again, grain of salt here. But it's kind of like what Taylor Swift has. Her fan base is so filled in on her backstory and the, and her whole her whole mythology. So if you will. invested, yeah. it's, and so you have to kind of be in on the ride. Rihanna, I'm not saying she doesn't have her own story, but it's not so much that kind of story with Rihanna's career. Her career is more so kind of like what she flexed at the Super Bowl, hit after hit after hit, and you realize how just surrounding and out encompassing her music is throughout your whole life. I saw a tweet like right at like in some early in the third quarter as the game got back going on at some point in the broadcast. And it said, Rihanna's like the ultimate soundtrack for the 30 somethings because there was always a song at a different point of your life. Oh yeah. And it always kind of had the Rihanna charm to it. You could point it. It's all like that song from 06 sounds very similar to the one from 2012, which sounds very similar to the one from, you know, 2016 even though the lyrical content may be different, maybe different point of her life, she just has that kind of effect when you yeah. hear a Rihanna song. It's kind of a constant in your life. Where Beyonce is more of the ebbs and flows, yeah, riding, yeah. riding the more the, the where she is in her personal life. Hundred percent. Yeah, like Rihanna, nothing's better. It's encapsulated by that stare when the camera just and you get the Rihanna stares like. So she's she's just different. Like the little the hit factor, the little hypnotizing, oh like bombing. Yeah, like weed. the hit yeah. factor is like crazy with Rihanna. It's it's something where as good as Beyonce is and everything, like I'm not sure she encapsulates that for me. For her fans, of course, like you mentioned, like the Swifties, they ride hard. Uh, I really like Taylor Swift's last album. Dre did too. The one that was just released. I like it better than any Beyonce album I've I've heard in like the past six years. So uh, right. I'm leaning more Swifty there. But even then, like I, I don't know. There's just something about Beyonce that don't really hit me. But I'm sure she'll she'll come back. Jay-Z is his role in the NFL is to put together these halftime shows. Yeah. So And he, like we said, he's his own show. Like I if, wonder if he does it. I, I'm starting to feel the G Funk Super Bowl, like to me, really was big as far as far as like shifting to where now anything's acceptable for the better. Because yeah. I, and I wanted to say this too. There's always you go on social media. There's always the 40, 50 year old something who pleads to get the classic rock bands back. Listen, yo, like ever since Janet and JT, y'all had like a six, seven year window. You had what? You had Paul McCartney, the Stones, Tom Petty, Springsteen and the who. 
Like, there's no more. The, the window for the classic rock acts is closed. Yeah, yeah. What, like, who are you going to? It. Who are you going to go to at this point? The Red Hot Chili Peppers are considered a classic rock act at this point, and they did a feature like a cameo with Bruno when he did it. I wouldn't mind the all Red Hot. Chili no, like, because they did one track, and it, they if they actually had their own show with the stage and the whole like presentation and a and its own production, it would probably be pretty. So, good. next three Super Bowls, if you had to pick, or your next three, and this is tough because right off the head, but I would go. My three. Mm-hmm. And I don't even know the locations of each of the next ones. But so who I know do you want in Vegas next year? Well, you could at least... Taylor. Taylor has to do Vegas. Yeah. All Taylor. Um, and I'm not even like the biggest switch, but yeah. I just think that's like perfect. Like That would, that would like, be monumental. Because yeah. Gaga was considered a big deal. Yeah. And that would be like this year into that even more. She broke Ticketmaster. Yeah. Like... Gaga yeah. did not do no, that. No, exactly. So like Taylor Swift, I'm not sure she's going to be hotter... Right. Than she is now. Right. If if you go out there, you you get her to do Super Bowl. So Swift and Allegiant, and then give me if it goes back East Coast, like say Miami, mm-hmm. I need Bad Bunny. Give That's gotta happen. Bad Bunny and friends bring out Cardi, bring out Drake. Bad Bunny now is just so globally huge. You yeah. put that in Miami with guest appearances. Um, with the, and the way the Shakira J Lo show went off uh, in Miami. Like the way they they could they kind of fleshed that out. It was like two shows in a one. Yeah. You could kind of do that. Give me that. And do we have an LA Super Bowl? I don't even know the. Super we just Bowl had locations. it. It was there last year. Okay. Um, are they going back up north? There's a California one, like, say, like in the Bay Area. Yeah, yeah, if it bounces back, I think one they might be putting some shit in Detroit. I'll look it up. But Ford Field. It's been a while. Oh my god, <laughs> oh man, it's been a while. But I will say, I need a Blink One Eighty Two one. I don't need classic rock, but I need like I see that's but that's happy pop, like I need <sighs> pop punk. It'd be better like, than Maroon Five. Yeah, Mark Hop is beating cancer. Travis before he goes full Kardashian. Yeah, and you look at and, and, and Tom coming back, like they're touring. We never thought we'd see the original three members again. Give me all Blink One Eight Two. But they could bring out whoever, like, as guests. Like, you could bring out Green Day. You could bring out stuff like, like, give an ode. To that generation. To kind of what you did with the G-Funk in yes. a way. It was like a. An ode to that generation. Era. Punk. Yeah, give me, the give me ni- everything. Like, the 90s. Late 90s, the early, early 2000s. Punk scene. Yes. Like, I, I need Panic at the Disco. Offspring. Offspring. <laughs> Just give me, give me everything. All that shit. What was the Pete Wentz dude doing? I don't even know, like <laughs> Fallout Fall Boy. Boy. Yeah, just all that shit. I need the emo ball. All of that. The emo ball. That's, I will be there front and center. <laughs> I'll be like, yeah, um, there's so many people who would agree with that too. The nostalgic factor, because obviously music and nostalgia go hand in hand, but that brand of music, you kind of thought it would be a time and a place type of thing, and it wasn't at all. Like the staying power of that era of alternative. You know what I guess you could call it the emo stuff, like yep. the emo oriented music, the, that branch, that subgenre of alternative rock, that never tallied off. It may have not be it got the the radio play it did at one point, but it has always been like a constant. It was like a genre of music that like just had this. That's a, what I need. A rabid fan. I need this shit to sound like warped. Yeah, like, exactly. I, I need that feel. The vans time vans verse. Yes, yeah. I, I need that. So Super Bowl, we have Vegas. We have New Orleans. Oh, beautiful. Which you can put Bad Bunny in New Orleans. I don't That's care. Perfect. Like, let's do it. Uh, that, or I mean, again, 
50, 60 year old white people might complain, but we love you guys. But they, they might complain. You can go full Lil Wayne in New Orleans. <laughs> like cash money taking over for the 99 and the 2000s. The montage. Juvie coming the out. Mo- you could Just, do the phases of Wayne. If you oh, like John Cena against, against uh, The Fiend, against yes. Wide Amania, you could do like <laughs> every the phase of, Wayne. of Lil Wayne. Yes, to the young money, to every. A, a oh, fourteen minute a like hits? recollection of Wheezy. Oh my God! It's New Orleans. Yeah, that's that might be it. So I changed my answer to Lil Wayne in yeah. New Orleans, and then the front runner for the year after is San Fran. So yes, give me full pop punk genre and Santa San Clara, yeah. Santa Clara. Yeah, let's an ode to the California rock bands of like ninety nine or the nineties two thousand. All right. And so before we shift to the fights here, I just have to ask you this. Cause I was also thinking this over cause we it's, it's gotten to the point where we don't even talk about the commercial anymore. We kind of like pack that in. We kind of go in every year thinking the commercials. Now you kind of have to find a diamond or rough. It used to be where they were all good. And then they're fewer good. And then there's a small handful. Now it's like you, you just use it for bathroom breaks and to get up to reload your plate. Right. Much, yeah. <laughs> so, but the halftime show, like the opinions and the takes on that, they're even more immediate in the, ensuing aftermath than it is for the game. Like it used to be where once a Super Bowl wraps, because we had that stretch where we had like five, six years where every Super Bowl seemed like it was in the top 10. It was this classic after classic after classic. And you immediately, when dissecting it, you thought, where does this rank? Now it's like that with the halftime shows. And especially again, because since you had the contemporary artists who the millennials and the 30 somethings and, you know, the, the people entering their 40s, they've now grown up with that. It's a special part of their life, whether they like it or not. It's, it's solidified in their life enough to where now it's kind of a, a talking point, whether they like it or not. It's it's in a, it's an a unavoidable talking point. So I was thinking, I don't know where Riri's ranks right now. You kind of have to sift through all of them. But if you have like a top three, where if you were just walking around, you know, and like a drop of the dime, gun in your head type of moment, if you will, what are your three, in any order, what are your three greatest Super Bowl halftime shows? I know What's my like number the Holy one. Trinity? My greatest is Prince. Oh, yeah. Miami, Purple Rain, I, In the Rain. I think that's untouchable. I, I think that's, you can't script that. Mm-hmm. Um, Michael Jackson had one. That was really That was the Giants dope. Bills. Yeah. yeah, not 1990. 1991 yeah. Super Bowl, yeah. So, give me Prince, give me Mike, and then, damn, after that, I'm not a Bruno Mars guy. I know but people love the Bruno. The performance was incredible. Yeah. That's one thing I'll say about <sighs> Bruno. It's hard. Like, if you're not a Bruno fan, it's kind of weird to put him in your top three. But if you are going off a sheer performance and like spectacle and like just showmanship, it's hard to top because he performed all the hits. The hooligans were great. They sounded incredible. They sounded even better than they did on wax or like in the studio, if you will. So I think it's hard not to keep Bruno, maybe not in the top three, but up there. For me, I mean, I know everyone says like you two from the emotional standpoint is kind of always because of the 9-11 stuff. That's kind of going to be number one as far as the significant of the significance of the moment. But in terms of the performance, nothing tops Prince. I think that's kind of always going to be undisputed. That was like a, that was almost like Queen at Live Aid or Jimi Hendrix <laughs> playing like the, the national anthem at Woodstock. It's like one of those symbolic music moments, not just halftime show yeah. moments. So Prince number one, um, I got to say, man, I don't know. I really like the G-Funk one. If, if, M, if, if, if M did anything but, and I get why he did Lose Yourself, you kind of had to, but if he did anything but that song, it almost would have been perfect because that almost brought things down a little but bit. But Eminem's music hasn't aged greatly. No. So like you can only true. put what are so you going much to do? at that stage. Hey man, what are you really going like, to do? Because uh, even, 
even, you know, dog, they had to be selective with how they, you know, use doggy style yep. on that and the chronic in that, uh, in that presentation. It, I don't know where that ranks though, but it, it's probably in my top three or four. It has to be up there. I might put that above Bruno. Yeah, that's, that's probably too. my three. And I think because there was just so, it was just such a like finally type of feel to it and it delivered. And even Dre, the, like there was like the icing on the cake was the I ain't mad at you on the piano, like the perfect chef's kiss tribute to Pac. Like it all kind of had just had the, in, in LA, in, LA? In, yeah. in Inglewood, it kind of just had the perfect feel to it. That has to be in my top three, I'd say. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I, I think it's going to be blasphemous because I think people put Beyonce in that top three. Mm-hmm. And... There was one where Beyonce was like a co-performer with somebody. Yeah, that was the one. It was Bruno uh, Bruno Beyonce Beyonce. featured with Coldplay. Yes. That one, people like really like that Coldplay. Yeah. And because I think a lot of that was they really touched into where they were. Yeah. And it was the, the, they they kind of focused on the moment. It was kind of a, it was, it was, it was well-timed. That one was cool. It was well-timed and it looked great. Like the colors and the scheme and all that. No, no. But yeah, give me, give me the G-Funk one. I think that's. Opening it up to more genres, mm-hmm. I think, is the better. Yeah. Because so much, for so long, you had to be a legacy act. Yep. And I think now you can be in your prime and play the Super Bowl. Like That's what they're going towards now. Yeah. They're not going off of what you've done in the past. They're going off of, like you said, that's why S- Taylor can work now. Yeah. They're riding the momentum wave. And Taylor would crush it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bieber would crush it. You mm-hmm. want to put Bieber out there. Like, he's still going. He would crush it. I'm going to be honest. Like, I think Miley Cyrus would probably make for a great Super Bowl Miley halftime show. Miley would do show. great. People would love that. Uh, Chris Brown, if allowed, would do very well <laughs> You know what's a, another? A halftime you know what would be another one to throw on with the blink? Throw on Gwen and No, no Doubt. No Doubt, yeah. Bring them it. up. I need it all. I, I'm actually kind of warming up to that. I, got, <laughs> I need it all. I'm liking that the more I think about it. And make that shit 25 minutes. Yeah. Just, just start and end with blink. And then just have a run. I want that shit to sound like an American Pie soundtrack <laughs> all the way through. That's what a I need. Van Wilder or yes, something. Yeah. That's what I need for this Super Bowl show. Give that to me in San Fran. Super Bowl, again, great. The halftime show, really enjoyed it. My boy Kadarius Tony. Love it. Love it. I love it. Once a giant, always a giant. That's, my pop said the same thing. He's like, hey, it's a little bit of retribution. That's they, it. They wall up the Giants in the divisional round, but a, a, a former Giant, even though he was nowhere near associated with that, he sticks it to him. In what was probably pound for pound the biggest play of the game. Yeah. When you look at the whole thing that return to, in totality. Well, the, the fumble is probably number one. Yeah, the, the fumble is far. In terms, of, in terms of the out, yeah, in terms of the outcome of the, the scoring, yeah, the fumble was probably bigger. But in terms of that momentum wave in the second half, once Tony started like cut across that grain, it's it was all. like, you just kind of got that feel. It's all like, Batting down the hatches, yeah. here comes KC. Because yeah. even before that opening drive in the third, it was a the offensive Gloom. line for the Chiefs was incredible. Gloom and doom. Yep. And then, of course, day before, um, we have an amazing UFC card going the same weekend as Super Bowl is an interesting choice, but because I mean you're guaranteed to have no headlines passing. Mm-hmm. But I thought the card, top to bottom, was still very good to the point of I was shocked that I enjoyed it as much as I did. And, you know, I, I thought when we looked at it on paper, I was like, they're kind of just throwing shit at the wall with yeah. this pay-per-view. Like, and we, it, and it's prominent, not necessarily their best of the year. And prominent media personalities that we've worked closely with and in association with on fight nights themselves, they were tweeting going into that card how it's, you know, 
would you really buy this if you weren't involved in combat sports media or like, you know, the, the fan base, the diehard fan base who buys every card they can. If you really took a step back and looked at this kind of with some distance, would you actually buy this card? And I get it because honestly, from a mainstream appeal, no, you wouldn't. But when you, like you said, when you really kind of look beneath the surface, there was appeal there and the matchups themselves deliver. That's what you ultimately have to look at. You cover boxing. It's the same thing. It's a rock, paper, scissors thing. Styles make fights. You're going to find them on any every card. You're going to find them on the card this weekend at the Apex. It's just one of those things. Every now and then, you're going to find a good scrap. We've covered some cards, obviously, where there are some absolute dogs, just duds from start to oh, finish. Oh, stinkers. Before. But yeah, <laughs> it's just snooze fest. But for the most part, you're going to find a good matchup. And this card in Perf just delivered because a lot of those matchups clicked. And obviously, with the two, the, the co-main, the main and the co-main, that was just something that I think the second those got announced, the intrigue was there, specifically with the main event. Definitely. Going to the main card, uh, Jimmy Crute versus Alonzo Menafield, a draw. Mm-hmm. That's not the best way to open up. No. It's like kissing your sister. It's all bad. Yeah, draws. draws it, in uh, MMA, when such a big deal with UFC's growing popularity when it first came out in the early 2000s was that stuff was never really seen. Yeah. And that's why sometimes it still kind of reminds you that now the playing field's even, and when the playing field's even, you're often going to get two guys who, or you know, even two women who don't do enough to win, but they also don't necessarily blow it to lose either. Sometimes you know, a, a level level competition, a level playing field works kind of against you too. I wouldn't mind if it was a ten eight round because you see more ties in the NFL yeah. now. I know that's a weird comparison. You see more, you see more ties in like certain yeah. aspects of professional sports that you never once saw. This ended in, in a draw because of the point being taken away. Yeah. Which makes it a little more like, oh. It's great. Yeah, you kind of have to. Like, that in, sucks. Insult to injury, too. Yeah, so because now. You, you could go back to a pinpoint in the bout when it happened. Yep, now they've got to run it back. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, how hard is it to train for the same person twice, back to back? At this point, I, I'd rather kind of see them split, go about your ways. If you guys both win your next fights, then come and loop back around. But that's usually not how the UFC works. They'll probably put these guys back into the octagon in a pay-per-view in like two months. Five minutes, basically. Yeah, yeah and then they're just like, hey, go at it again. We mm-hmm. need a winner. So that's that one was a little odd. But then after that, we're off to the races. Justin Taffa versus Parker Porter. Come on, man. We're in Australia. Yeah. I love any of the poly dudes. Yeah. Like, listen, Maori's every. I don't care what you are. It's one one word, activity. That's it. You're going to have it. You're, it's, we it's, throw it hands. Yeah. They're shoeies. Tied to Ivasa was drunk as a scum. Yep. And it was Sunday morning. Didn't even care. A lot of, probably yeah. drinking since 6 a.m. A lot of people think he should retire the shoey. Or, yeah, because I know you even talked to Ty right on this right, very show. I, I was on this desk. I yeah. took a shoey right here. Yeah. Yes. And I remember that was when the shoey was really picking up steam. So yeah, you're I took like, it out of the D.C. Yeah, you're like, exactly. That's right. So you're kind of like OG in the shoey campaign oh. there. So you want him to keep it. I took the shoe off of my foot. I can't go back now. You can only do it if it's done right. Yeah. Like, we're at that point. There's a lot of fake. A lot of, a lot of, yeah, a lot of, there's a lot of half steps. A lot of knockoffs, right? Yep. I'm I'm telling you, there ain't no such thing as halfway crooks. (laughs) Halfway shoeies. Yeah, there's no such thing as halfway shoeies. Listen to my deep. If you're going to come, you better come correct. RIP prod. (laughs) So that's, that's it. You see, Ty, at at this point, you can't take a shoey. Unless it's somebody else's shoe. Yeah, you can't do it off your own. You can't even do your own shoe from your own foot. Mm -mm. You need a stranger's shoe. Mm -hmm. Up the ante. That's it. After that, we're going to have to graduate to like Four loco and the Mm shoey. 
We're going to have to do like maybe a mixed drink. We're just going to keep stepping up the levels. You know, a lot what? of people make it look too easy. You know what it's showing too in between the, just that, that region with Australia and New Zealand, that growing sports culture across the board. Obviously it's always been there with like sports like rugby and stuff like yeah. that. Now growing into the combat sports, it just shows the level of athlete they breed down there. And we'll get to that when we talk about obviously Alexander Volkanovsky. Uh, it's just the level of athlete they breed down there because of the way they ingrain themselves in competitive sports that are popular in the States that often gets overshadowed. And because of that, there's often a level of athleticism and muscle memory with those fighters that even fighters who may have been training in jujitsu from Brazil for the longest time don't have, or fighters who've been, you know, from Eastern Europe who have been wrestling or training in boxing and kickboxing for a long time that maybe even they don't have because they have very combat oriented, you know, movement, which is still great. And obviously can win you plenty of championship bouts and, you know, all the accolades in the fight game. But at the same time, sometimes you really stand out to the eye when you have those quick twitch muscle fibers. That's this the standard fighter, even if they're really well balanced and have a lot of, uh, there's a lot of discipline to their game and a lot of different elements of their skill set. Even then, sometimes you have the edge. That's what we saw in the main event. We'll mm-hmm. get there. Yeah. But it was someone who's classically trained in a form of wrestling. Yep. That works all the time. And combat-oriented movement. Against someone who is just a freak athlete. athlete. Probably the best in the sport. (laughs) Definitely the best in the sport. Pound for pound best. Yeah, we'll We'll save save for... for, So, it's in the next, again, Jack, Della, Madalana, JDM versus Randy Brown. JDM is just on fire. Mm -hmm. That guy, I mean welterweight division it needed some like new life because it's always been stacked yeah for a long time but it's the same names kind of jdm is is making some it's it's stacked but it's like a top heavy stack it's like the shuffling of a six or seven and it was like that for years and even the immediate wake of gsp's departure yeah it was like that so you need kind of fresh blood you know when vicente was kind of like just a year and a half ago he started kind of picking up steam he was kind of throwing the mix he's still kind of in and out but you, it's a good to have, it's to have those names in the shuffle. You, we've seen that now in other divisions. Then those have kind of brought the divisions to life. Yep. We saw that in bantamweight a few years ago. A lot of these guys, like who, who are they? And now they're like some of the top dogs in the division who are just absolute monsters. Yep. And that's one of the best divisions in the sport as well. So you see that. You see that in multiple women's division. You see these absolute just beasts coming out at uh, bantamweight, who before was very top again, top heavy. So, you had Valentina Nunez. Valentina goes down. Then it's Amanda for the longest time until the upset. But even now, you see some of these younger bantamweights and flyweights coming up, as we'll get to when we you know, look at UFC 285. You, you, you have some of these younger fighters now coming up that it's just like every division kind of has that. Much like you've talked about, every division has that fighter who was fully raised in an MMA environment, an MMA community. They grew up wanting to be a fighter, not so much being forced to be a fighter or kind of not panning out in another athletic yeah. field. Like, oh, well, wrestling's and then, done. And I'm wrestling's done. Do no. I, I can't, you know, I'm not, it's either, bo- I'm, you know, I'm a boxer, golden glove level. Do I want to make money in, in boxing or do I want to, you know, try something and do a backyard or like a weekend warrior type of thing in MMA? Because that's what a lot of guys did. Like yeah. for the longest time, that was your first kind of way to get into the sport. It was your foot in the door. And if you were in Japan, a lot of times it was if you were a professional wrestler. Yep. So the, the way you, the entryway into MMA was kind of like, not so much a desperate road, but kind of like a, a, a audible, if you yep. will. 
Like it was like a, you know, it was a a detour. It was a detour. That's the best word to use. It was a detour where now it's the destination. And you see that now. You're going to see that because fighters are now raising children. And you're going to see that with Bellamere and a lot of these second generation athletes. We have Yair Rodriguez, co-main event, Josh Emmett. Yair Mm -hmm. is who he was always supposed to be. Yes. This is what happens when a fighter gets into his prime. And I say this all the time. The UFC is not made for 20 year olds. It is not. If, if someone is great in their 20s, they are exceptional. John Jones was exceptional. Max Holloway was exceptional. They are freak of nature. Early, you, early McGregor. Exceptional. Yeah. When you're hit 30, it's usually when you start putting it together mm-hmm. and you understand mixed martial arts. Yair is there right now. Yair was moving on a different wavelength than Josh, Josh Emmett. Emmett was. It was yeah. an entirely different speed. Emmett was throwing haymakers and hitting nothing but air. And Yair is just watching it. It was like the, the Flash commercial I watched at the Super Bowl. It's like he saw everything in slow motion. And once Josh Emmett knew that, he got desperate. And it was only a matter of time before Yair got him out of there. And he ends up winning by submission. And we and those kind of submissions are even in, not to cut you off, Kel, but those kind of submissions are what, Yair in his early years when he was in his 20s, still what made him so formidable. He had a fast track rise at one at 145. They fed him the Frankie. Frankie absolutely just washed him because it was, again, that young 20-year-old something versus the veteran who was still kind of not yet out of its prime, still not far from contention. With This was, what, 2016? Yep. Frankie was only a few, about a year and a half removed from competing for the strap. Like, that was just a tough spot for Yair. But again, he kind of just treaded water, put it all together, solidified that skill set, but still kept those elements that we saw early on, that unorthodox fluidity, that ability to kind of scramble and kind of glide on the mat where we saw him catch Emmett with the the triangle. It's just one of those things where we now see him putting that together along with the experience, along with the fighter IQ, and now he's the interim champion and set himself up a match likely with Volkanovski. Yeah, you, you said assuming it best. That's, like, assuming that's Alex's next route. It, it should be. Yeah. But we'll get there. Uh, you, you said it best, though, treading water, right? Mm-hmm. So, like. Just floating, a, stay alive. He was getting dominated in that Korean zombie matchup. Mm-hmm. But, hey, stayed alive, walk off elbow. And then, you know, you, you do these things, and it's like, wow. But he's getting better throughout that. Now he, he faced a Korean zombie. It's, it's a wrap. You watch it. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not even close. Absolutely. Frankie Edgar is. Hall of Fame, Frankie. Now, like it, it's those things, those tribulations where when you're in your early twenties, we've seen it with Robbie Lawler, we've seen it with other guys. It's like you're gonna have your ups and downs if you get to the UFC at twenty. But if you stick around long enough, you tread water, get enough wins in between there. You're going to be all right when you're 30. Look at how much better of a fighter Dustin Poirier is now. than what, oh my That may God. be the best example. You watch Dustin Poirier, and I, know, I was actually talking about this with a buddy the other day. You may be in terms of pure just eye test, looking at the talent, looking at bringing it all together. You may be looking at the best fighter. I know he held the interim gold to never win a championship. And I know there's like been a lot of guys. Cowboy is kind of in that belt, in that camp for a long time. It was Kenny Florian. You could even say like Chael Sonnen. Yeah. Like for a while because of what he was able to do and the impact he made. Right, you're right, right. But like collectively, there's a lot of guys maybe who could kind of throw their name in the in the conversation. But in terms of the pure skills involved in the fight game in mixed martial arts, Dustin Poirier can freaking flat out. Fight. He's transcended a belt. It's which it, is crazy. Yes, that's what I'm saying. Like it's almost like you you need Dustin Poirier to tell the story 
of the all-timers in the lightweight division through Nurmagomedov. And, you know, Oliveira we thought was going to be until Makashev. Yep. It's one of those things where maybe they were a step above Poirier, but maybe. But maybe. On and, a given night. And that's a damn good step. Basically, he was the mark. We knew they were elite because they beat him. Yep. And that's why we still won't completely write off Michael Chandler because Michael Chandler just got beat by him. And it's all like a, a loss of Dustin Poirier that to, in today's day, day and age of 155 pounds, that doesn't really kill your no. stock because the two guys who he's basically been, the, they've been casualties to Poirier are now going to go at it in a huge fight. Yep. So with that, Yair, again, holding the interim belt. It's great. Great moment. Celebrated yeah. with his family. Second Mexican-born UFC champion ever. He just stayed in the game and it paid off. Only 30. So much ahead of him. Mm-hmm. Main event. Now the fun stuff. Islam Mahayev, Mahayev versus Alexander Volkanovsky. This fight, <laughs> again, we, we touched on this. It's someone with that Sambo wrestling where it's such a hard puzzle to figure out. Because you have to know at points you are going to be on the ground. You have to be calm in that and weather that storm and take the moments when you are not. It's not easy to do by any means. People freak out. The best of the best, as good as Charles Oliveira was. It was quick. He got on the ground. It was. And. Sharks, sharks. Shark with blood in the water. That's it. Yeah. Like the, the black belt and jujitsu, all that shit went out the window. Mm-hmm. It was like panic time to scramble and get up. Because that, that that Dagestani pressure the from pressure. That, that wrestling Sambo style. Yeah. And you, you look at that and the pressure breaks people. Mm-hmm. To remain calm in that pressure is different. It's like remaining calm when someone has you deep as hell in a guillotine. Yep. It's Volk's best quality is that he's not scared or worried or rushed by any situation. He's in the moment. He's calm. He's assessing everything. He doesn't freak out. So Islam has his back at one point with both hooks in. Gets the body triangle. Puts his leg around. Volk's chilling. There's two and a half minutes left in the second round, I believe. Smiling. Smiling. Mm Mm-hmm. Beating the hell out of him with the other arm, talking trash. To the point of, okay, he leaves himself open a little bit, boom, he breaks the hands, no problem. Hanging in there, popping shit, comes back out the next round, doesn't even remember it. It's like a corner in the NFL. Short term. Short term memory. To the point you get to the fifth round, Islam is dying in there, sucking for air. And he catches him with a huge right. Yeah. Yeah. Then but, you get the explosive striking that you, like, you know, remember the back of your mind. And Volk is just like, eh. He doesn't know if this is round five, round mm-hmm. one. Doesn't matter. The gas tank's the same. Gas tank's the same. The, the game plan is the same. It wasn't like, hey, we're down in our cards. You need to do something stupid. He went. He was himself. And to the point of, I thought Islam was up 3-1 entering the fifth. Right. If, if you had a 2-2, I guess. But I, I thought it was a clear 3-1 for Islam heading into the fifth. But I would have been okay with a draw if someone saw the last minute and a half of that and said, you know what, this is a 10-8 for Volk. Because mm-hmm. he's... Pop, he popped him. Close yeah. to getting him out of here. And Islam is surviving. Yeah. 
And if you say, okay, Volk drops him, Volk was nasty ground and pound. Islam was just trying to get the hell out of there. If you see that and you go, well, that's 10-8. Without context, especially, then, yeah. Like- then it's like, well, okay, and then we got a draw. And I would have been fine with a draw. And that, that gas tank, that pressure, that calmness, that athleticism, because getting out of some of these positions on the ground, just sheer athleticism. Hmm? I mean, it's just standing This up. is what we talk about. And it's, it's a special kind of athlete. For a long time, we associated, and we, you were actually very early on this, especially in, in you know, combat sports media talking about this, and we've discussed it multiple times on different talk shows and podcasts, and just you know, in passing, that for a long time, the idea of an athlete in fighting was like the fluid dancing type. The John Jones, the Valentina Shevchenkos, even like the, the prime Anderson, Anderson Silva, Silva, guys like that, women like that who could really move, usually a lot of kickboxing, Muay Thai type of backgrounds. And we kind of just floated out there. But then what we saw, we saw guys like even Brock Lesnar's prime. I know like that's a a loose comparison because it was a small dose. But you saw that type of athlete, the explosive, just the explosion, the quick twitch, all that. You saw it with Daniel Cormier. You see it with Michael Chandler. You see it with... you, You see it with Kamaru. You see it with these... There are certain fighters you see it with that it's just they move at a certain level that's different because they're a different type of athlete. Of all the examples I just gave off, Alexander Volkanovsky, to me, is the absolute best one. Yoel Romero, that was the other one I was yeah. thinking of. Oh, another, a exactly. Another example where every now and then you get this guy where it doesn't make sense. Forget the skill set. Forget what kind of discipline, background you come from. Forget the weight class. It transcends all of that. That's why I didn't care about the size difference you have Makashev, who's a beast at lightweight. I don't care if Volk's going up. I don't give a, I don't give a damn about that because he has the athleticism to cut it down. He has the defensive wrestling capabilities to cut it down. He has this IQ to be able to use what you do against you to cut it down. So, so much of what you can have at his advantage against a guy like Volkanovsky, usually it's there. But with a guy like him, it's out the window because the athleticism is the great equalizer. What makes him different than a lot of other people we named? A lot of other guys have, like, wrestling backgrounds. Yeah. And that's what makes them, like, twitchy. But there's a different level above that, and that's where Volk is. And the difference is, and this is why I've always made that case, is MMA is so young, and it, it wasn't a viable option for so long for so many different kids, is that sooner or later, you're going to get the Alabama football-level athlete. Who prioritizes you're, that. You're going to get these kids who are running 4440s yeah. and are 280 pounds who decide, you know what? No, at 14, I'm doing jujitsu. You're getting it in boxing. Deontay Wilder went into boxing oh. because he knew he wasn't going to play football for the Tide. And that was like, you, you look at this, yeah. though. John Jones is the runt of his family. Yeah. Of three brothers, he is the runt. He is the greatest mixed martial artist we've ever, ever seen. He ain't shit compared own, to Chandler Jones. In his own Jones. bloodline. Zero. In his own bloodline. He, he does nothing better in this world than Chandler Jones. If Chandler wanted if Chandler wanted to learn how to throw a kick and an elbow right now, he is undefeated in MMA. You're going to start getting these guys in mixed martial arts, and it's going to be a different level mm-hmm. of specimen. Volk is a former... 200-pound rugby rugby player who cut down and was like, you know what? It's time to fight. And that's why he's different than the other 
athletes and fast twitch person because he has the gas tank. Yeah. You, anyone ever play rugby in here? That shit is tough. Volk, and Volk was carrying around a middleweight body, Easy. let alone a, a featherweight or a lightweight like, body. Now it's- He could fill the frame easily. He can go 10 yeah, rounds. No doubt. And you wouldn't see a difference. No, and it's all healthy it's, weight filling the frame. Once you get that level of athlete yeah. to start from a young age in this sport, it's going to be transformational. Imagine, I would say, put J.J. Watt mm-hmm. in his prime in an octagon. Put Aaron Donald. Put Aaron Donald type of athlete in an octagon. Aaron Donald's never lose. Daniel Cormier was the heavyweight champion of the world. Yeah. Put him next to Aaron Donald. They're the exact same height. Yeah. You tell me if Aaron Donald... Trained like DC at, at 20. At that, exactly. If he left Pitt and you're like, nope, this is what I'm doing. God no help you. No one is beating this God man. God help you. We are going to start seeing those athletes. Yeah. And more and more in the lighter weight divisions. Yes. Where it's like, yo, you're a beast. You're running a 4-2-40. Shed the weight. Stuff, but you're 5-9. Are you making it to the NFL? But maybe you power clean 500 pounds. Like, well, you know what? You are a perfect specimen to, you know, Cut that added, like you what, you had to fight to be 170, mm-hmm. like to play college football. Now, so you know, you're 5'9", you're 145. Go fight featherweight and just smash people. Smash people. And that's, and it's you see- different level. And you see Volkanovsky, even at Tiger Muay Thai, you see it in Singapore when he's sparring and when they're rolling and doing all that. He is doing things that doesn't make sense. He's defending takedowns with guys who have them on a, on a power double practically in the air- and he's kicking out his legs and sprawling out in midair and stuffing the takedown when it looks like it's a sure thing. He's doing these like movement patterns that normally you didn't see because he has, again, those quick twitch fibers and that raw athleticism, that muscle memory that allows him to do that. And again, it's like what we said. We see that a lot in certain countries, certain countries like Australia, New Zealand, even the States now that prioritize other sports, team sports, stick and ball sports, those type of athletes now, they go into the fight game where it's not just wrestlers, boxers, jujitsu players, judoka, stuff like that, sambo players. It's actual athletes learning how to fight and then applying those athletic attributes to the cage or to the ring. It's like what you said. It's game over. It's going to be night and day. Like when, and just looking at the landscape of mixed martial arts right now, mm-hmm. like this is pre-integration baseball. Yeah. This is the the NBA before a three point line? This is boxing in in the 1910s, in 1920s, the 20s, yeah. right? Like that's is, the point where we're at in MMA. This is football before like the rule changes Change. with this, like the the press coverage and yeah, all that. There's yeah. no merger. Yeah, yet. like we're right. in the infancy of this, right? We're seeing the people we think are great. They're Babe Ruth. Yeah, they're gonna be eclipsed. Like like, like we said, like, yeah, they're they're not playing against. The best of the best yet. Because things are being rewritten. Like I, like we just talked about, we thought the uh, definition of an athlete was someone who basically just moved very well in the ring. Conor McGregor, or the cage. Conor McGregor with all the different movement stuff he did. Anthony Pettis for a while we were looking at. Tony Ferguson, we're like, these guys are so fluid and unorthodox in the cage. They're so much more athletic. It's like, it's not even close. It's a different kind of conversation. Yeah. It's not, it's not even like in the same universe because, again, it's something that is embedded in these guys' marrow. Volkanovsky is going to move with the speed and with that, with that quickness and that explosion that other fighters who may be just as skilled in wrestling, jiu-jitsu, boxing, Muay Thai as him, but they're not going to be able to do it at the same rate with the same level of efficiency or just pure athleticism. And he'll be passed up in 10 years. Yeah. 
Like the, the yeah. days. It's like football and basketball. Now the standard's there to keep climbing. The days of winning championships in your 40s, late 30s, those are going to slow mm-hmm. as these athletes start to catch up. And it, it's Volk's amazing. He's the top of the top athletically in the game right now. But people are going to see this. And kids are going to see this. Yeah. And then you're you're going to get people. It, I always, it's always funny to me. I see Terrence Crawford. I talk to Terrence Crawford. He would have never been a boxer Mm-mm. if this shit was around. Not at all. He wrestled all his childhood. Yep. There, that was a just great athlete. Yeah, it wasn't feasible. Both of his children are winning wrestling tournaments every weekend. If they take that wrestling, Terrence Crawford's hands, you're in trouble. Well, that's look at we talked about Bellamere. Yeah. Like with an athlete, her father was an incredible athlete. The way he moved for a yep. big man, the way he scrambled and rolled on the mat. Are you kidding me? She's already a dominant wrestler. She's going to do great things at one of the premier wrestling factories, wrestling programs in the country at the University of Iowa. Iowa yep. And then you add the striking and the submissions into it. Forget about it. It's just, it's going to be that type of thing where like we saw Amanda Nunez come up and it was all like, she's, there's, there's such a big gap between her and everyone else because of that power, because of just that, that ability to just explode out of nowhere. That's going to be the norm now. Yeah, it's, I, it's a still a few years off, but it's going to be the norm a lot faster than I think at one point we ever thought was even realistically possible. The UFC sees it, though, to their credit. They have the NIL deal. Yeah. You mentioned it with Mir. With Bella. Yeah. And WWE has been doing this for a while. You're going to get the Bianca Belair-style athletes. The you're going to get— Gable Steve. Yep. Yeah, like yep. you're, you're going to get even these, these other people where it's like, yo, she's a gymnast. She's— you know, a track star. And it's like, okay, what can you do with that? They're going to say, hey, come to my gym. Mm-hmm. And at 20, 21 years old, by the time they're 25, you're going to be like, athletically, it's night and day yeah. from the days of Ronda Rousey. Yeah. From the days Cyborg, of Misha Tate. Cyborg. No like, doubt. athletically, it's a whole different world. Because Holly Holm was another one. Like, again, did that, that fluid dancer type, yeah. like Valentina is now, seems so stark as far as a contrast from everyone else. And now that's going to seem minuscule in comparison. Oh, when not you get to dropped diminish, on your head, not, no, it's going to be over. Right, not to diminish anything they've done. But again, there's levels to everything. There's waves of evolution in all sports. And MMA now being able to enter that shows it is now developing into its own. More so as not just a form of combat entertainment, but as, as an actual legitimate athletic entity. A sport that has its own developmental system. A sport that, a sport that has its own structure of how to develop as an athlete. Not just as a fighter, but again, the key word athlete. I will say this before we move on, Kale. Um, obviously, I was with you in terms of the fight itself. Obviously, incredibly back and forth. What Volk did with the defensive wrestling to kind of keep uh, Islam at bay, but with what Islam was able to do with his striking to kind of really take the fight yeah. to Volkanovsky, both fighters showed elements of their game that we knew were there going into the fight, but we really knew how to be displayed, and they displayed it, you know, tenfold. So I think, sure, Islam did enough to get his hand raised. You could call him the number one fighter in the world as far as the whole pound-for-pound argument. That whole thing, by the way, the pound-for-pound argument was at one point, especially us working in combat sports media, at one point it was like really fun. And now it's all like, God, it's almost like you dread it because now it's <laughs> it's like not even fun to debate anymore because there's so many little like, there's so many variables and deciding factors. You're like, what are we even talking about here anymore? What's the criteria? But if you're just going off a straight eye test, if you want to go off a resume and accomplishment, Islam won the fight. He should be number one. Should be number one. But on my eyes, there is, to my eyes, and I know to the, a lot of the eyes of a lot of other people who watch this sport, who consume this sport, 
There is not a better fighter on earth today as far as the well-rounded skill set and the ability to adapt to any situation at two different weight classes now than Alexander Volkanovsky. Yeah, I think we're seeing a fighter in I think he's prime. the most skilled fighter in, in mixed martial arts. I right have now. to see John. And we'll get that's to that fair, in a And second. we'll get to that momentarily, right. Because that's the second division. And he's the best the guy. The best to ever do it. Yeah. yeah. And I'm not discounting him. You can't. Being the greatest fighter I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. So, and I still Volk, agree with that. Even with Volk, I still say Jones is the greatest fighter I've ever seen because of the, for one, the sheer resume. Yeah. Good luck for anybody. Even the, the, like we said, the next big thing is going to be coming soon in MMA where it blows everyone away. But that doesn't mean the resume, like LeBron, you, that we talked about in basketball, LeBron, obviously, as far as those attributes, blows a lot of the Jordan era guys away and even the guys who preceded him. But LeBron is still a, very much an uphill battle because the championship resume still, at least in some people's eyes, we've talked about it a lot, but to a lot of people, it doesn't stack up. So even John if- John doesn't have that problem. Exactly. Even if you have guys to the eye that look like, oh, he reminds me of a lot of the things that John Jones brought to the table at one point. Good luck ever getting to the mountaintop the way he did because with this, again, it was Hall of Famer after Hall of Famer. You win the title at like 22. Yeah, to be to, able to do it. To enter the conversation. I'm not sure when we see that again. It's like a champion 22, 23. And then you can't have a fall off. Yeah. His fall offs have been all outside the octagon. When he's on in his there. Own, on his own on doing. Court, yeah. When he's in there. What? He's had a close fight and people were like, well, Dominic Reyes could have beat him. But yeah. He didn't. Yeah. Like now you're penalizing the guy for even having close we fights. We talk about Daniel Cormier probably being one of the three greatest fighters to ever walk the face of the earth. It wasn't even close. No, got head kicked to wasn't death. Wasn't even close. When John and the was first focused. Fight, but the first fight got waxed because the gas tank, Jones was freaking just tore right through yeah. him with the wrestling. When it was insane. It, did, it was mind blowing. When he is focused and he's up for it. Yeah. There's, there's no one like that. Mm-mm. Like, everyone loved the Gus fight. And that first Gus fight, it's like, oh, my God, this is the best title fight in USC history. Him versus Gustafson. The second fight, it was like, this ran was... Ran through him. Yeah, like, this was a rematch of the greatest title fight ever? Yeah, when he's right. BSing and he's partying, he's doing John Jones shit. Yeah. Maybe you catch him on an off day. When he is focused, yeah. there's, there's nothing and, like that. And that's why, even though he may lose that quote-unquote focus after all those, you know, comeback stints, in the comeback stint, he still takes care of business. Every time he has returned to the octagon, even with the no contest to DC, which was ruled after the fact, he is taking care of the business in the way he needed to, often in dominant fashion. So we're right here on the topic anyway. It's what are you what are you feeling against Gone? What are you feeling against? Obviously, Cyril, that one, the one thing he brings to the table is probably better than anyone in that division in particular. But again, we're talking about a guy who is like what Volk does now, he made a whole career of it against Hall of Famers using what you do against you, you to his advantage and to yep. your disadvantage. That that bounce, that you know, that speed, that striking uh, sophistication that Cyril Gon brings to the octagon. John Jones can easily scoop, use that against him, swing the whole fight. And next, thing you know, Gon doesn't have an answer, especially with the clinch work in the wrestling. Heavyweight's a different beast, right? Like yep. there's people don't defend the title more than twice. No, so this. You're, the odds say you're going to get caught by somebody. Eventually. If John doesn't, he's the most spectacular yeah. fighter I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. Going into this, I saw Cyril Gaon get out-wrestled. By Francis By Ngannou. Francis Ngannou. And the man had no kneecaps. Mm -hmm. Like, he had no knees. Got out-wrestled by Ngannou. I mean, unless John Jones completely gasses and... Doesn't handle the weight well. Yeah. Yeah. I, 
I see no way. And he'll try to stand with Cyril and he might get caught and touched up early. When he switches it on and goes to the clinch, and he wants to wrestle Cyril gone. He it's has over. zero answer for John Jones. And the thing about John Jones is he's not a nice person. He has, he's got he, that Terrence Crawford aspect. Yeah, he's, he's mean. He likes to hurt you in the cage. He, when yeah. there's something to prove, when people are doubting him, when someone talks shit to him and it's personal, he is not a nice person. He is going in there to hurt his opponent, to finish them and to make a statement. I think he chokes Cyril out in two. Yeah. And, and, I, and it's not to discount Cyril. No, it's a, it's a I, bad I matchup. It's, it's a bad matchup. It's close. I'm with you. The only thing would be the rust, the him not taking care of his body. And the heavyweight aspect. And, and I don't even think, I think he's been waiting so long. I don't even think that's a, a factor. He has to get yeah. caught and knocked out to lose. That's what I more so mean by the heavyweight. Not so more, not him carrying the weight, more so the chin. Chin, yeah. Can the chin carry he, over? He right? has to get knocked out to lose. I'm not even sure if he puts himself in position to do that. How often has he ever been hurt anyway? It doesn't, hasn't happened a whole lot. No, I mean, he took the punches In in certain fights, it's happened in doses, but it's it's always in those fights. It's never like, if you look at his career collectively, he tore up Machida. He tore up Rampage. He tore up Vitor. He tore up Shogun. He tore up all those guys early on without taking like any damage. He tore up DC the first time. Actually got caught a couple times by DC in the second fight that was, you know, scratched off. And then obviously Ray's caught him a few times. Uh, who was it? Thiago had a, actually the fight of his life probably against yep. Santos against him. So yeah, he you can catch him, but he's never really kind of had that thing where he's been through consistent wars. Yep. He'll have a battle here and there, and it's just wash a guy, wash a guy, wash a guy. A battle here and there, wash a guy. And often those battles are kind of him not really doing what he had done in those yep. prior performances anyway. You look at him against Dominic Reyes, against Tiago, he wasn't really the same John Jones who we saw against, no, against Gus the second time. He didn't to like take exactly. them down. He was just like bullshitting. He was like, I do whatever I want. And, it's, and I hate to say it in the fight game because, again, it's a sport where so many things can happen on the, you know, the drop of a dime. So it's, it's kind of a lazy take to say that. But with John Jones, he is that special of a, combat, a combative athlete and that gifted of a fighter it really is the case where unless you are like an all-time great Cormier Smiocic where there's a lot of factors there, he's kind of going to always have the benefit of the doubt because he has been there in those waters before. Yeah. And the fact that, again, it's it's what you have for him. And again, there, no one has had an answer. It'd be different if you had an answer and he was able to pull through. No one has really showed the format or the blueprint to beat him. At least Volkanovsky showed I could beat Makashev maybe if the cards go in my favor. Yeah. You know, Islam, may, there may not be a lot of guys in 155 who can do it, but it can happen with the right matchup. With Jones, we didn't know that for a long time if there was anyone who Dom could get Dom is the there. only one that, like, pushed right. him to that point. And then even then, he was down 2-1 to one to Dom. Yeah. Woke up, was like, oh, shit, I'm going to lose. And then went through Dom and, and pulled it out, right? And it's, so, so it's one of those cases where, again, it sounds like a lazy take, but it, in the case of talking about John Jones and analyzing his fights— it's a matter of how good he wants to be and kind of in a Randy Moss type of fashion, what version of him are we going to get on that given fight night? Yeah, that, as good as the card may look on paper for USC 285, mm-hmm. it's very possible we have one-way traffic in every main card fight. Yeah, I, I think in the co-main. Chef, Chevchenko, I think, Grosso, ro- I think Valentina rolls. And then Jeff Neal well, we versus s- Rock. Rachmanov, yeah, Rachmanov could roll through Jeff Neal. It's a bad matchup stylistically. Bo Nickel, Bo Nickel versus Jamie Pickett. Bo Nickel could run through him. Like the stylistic matchups are are rough. But, 
yeah, it could just be dominant all the main card. And we look up and be like, well, fuck, everyone just got crushed. And, and Grasso's interesting because much like what we saw with Valentina in her last bout where she really got pushed by Talia Santos, it's kind of like we've seen gifted fighters who are so much better than the rest of the field. Yeah. Often the way they're pushed, and we see even in boxing, when they're pushed, it's usually by an unorthodox fighter who's going to make it dirty, who's going to make it scrappy, who's going to you know muddy it up and kind of make it hard for you to do the things you like to do. So I get why Grasso may present that, but I think what we saw with the last fight when Santos did that to Valentina, again, I think it was more of the exception, not the rule. I think this version of Shevchenko, again, she's not going to be the, the incredible fighter we've seen forever, but she's still in her prime. She's still without question the best the best in the world at that weight. At this point, the only other fight for her is a trilogy fight with Amanda. I've been saying it for a long time. I don't know if it'll ever happen, but it needs to. She needs to go back up. Until then, I think she continues to get her hand raised at 125. Yeah. I don't think Grasso has anything for her. No, no. I, I All think, respect to her. I think everyone's entitled to an off night. Yeah. I think she bounces back. And Shevchenko will dominate. There, there is some young talent mm-hmm. coming up where it's like, Okay, shit's about to get real tough. Yeah. For her in a second. Um, Blanchfield fights this weekend. Yep. Aaron Blanchfield looks like a blue chipper for every, you know, by every metric. By every metric yeah. of the word. So it's like if Blanchfield handles business now against Jessica Andrade, who's a powerhouse, then it's like, oh shit, well, she's probably the real deal. And then that's looking over your shoulder for Shevchenko. And then I always thought Tatiana Suarez was the next champion or whatever weight class she wanted. Mm-hmm. And then you know, she had cancer, overcame cancer. Then this neck injury yeah. just held her out for like three it's and a half years. It's been a rough row health-wise. Skill-wise. And style-wise. Tatiana Suarez yeah. is as tough as it gets. Nobody that has that wrestling. No one no. in the UFC has that wrestling. So it comes down to she where it's like... She could smother you. Uh, she could be like a female Habib. I and always thought she was. And that's why, Valent, much like Volkanovski, the key to Valentina, obviously it's the striking, the Muay Thai, the kickboxing. It's incredible. It, and forget about the division. Forget about women's MMA. The entire MMA oh. landscape. Valentina is as good as it gets as far as the striking right now. But the key to her game is the defensive wrestling and yes. how she uses the clinch. So I really want to see her pushed against a really top-notch wrestler who can overcome that clinch Get that, you know, find a level change and find a shot and potentially get her on her back and, and see how she has to work on that. And will, will test her a little Yo, bit. No doubt. Because again, she has that. She's going to come forward. She's going to be yeah. scrappy. She's not going to be afraid to shoot on her. But that's where Valentina says, come on in. Yeah, and I think there's different levels to that. And like mm-hmm. Tatiana Suarez, I think, may push her. But that's so far down the line. Yeah. So it's it's just one of those things where the divisions are catching up. But it's but so- to everyone on this card, I'm not sure if it's catching up in time just to make these- them competitive yeah so it's it's going to be great some good things to look forward to in mma Austin, thank you for joining me absolutely let me let me it's always great and let me ask you this one question just because we teased it by mentioning several times throughout the show we mentioned michael chandler conor mcgregor the bout opened up as a pick because i don't know uh i know we'll probably have some time in between now and the ultimate fighter finale and all that to when this actually goes down maybe i join you'll be on my show i'll be on your show you know there's a lot of podcasting to take place in between now and then but just in case if we don't hit it who are you leaning early on? I never pick against Connor. I know you and don't. It's That's why I wanted to ask Jessica. I, I knew, never. Pick I knew coming Connor. in. I'm like, he's gonna, he's gonna pick McGregor. Yeah, I'm picking him. Yeah, I'm picking him by knockout. If he doesn't get by knockout, he's gonna stop. Yeah, that's so, how it is. But no, I, I think Michael Chandler has enough mileage, mm-hmm. and it being at 170, where it's not a guy like Nate Diaz who is like naturally bigger than Connor yeah. at 170. It's not 170 on Chandler, a short notice. Chandler and Chandler's like that. 
It's more going into McGregor's it's, favor, given McGregor's length, his body type. Yeah, now especially his body, like Chandler. And Chan- McGregor's looking huge. Chandler's going to still be a 155. Right, just, just jumping up. Yeah, just yeah. fighting at it's, 170. It's like we talked about with Volkanovski. Some guys, it's not even a change. Other guys, it's like you are out of your element. Yep. Chandler, again, he is one of those athletic guys that it kind of defines logic. But he doesn't use his wrestling no, enough. He's not going to threaten Connor in that way. He's not going to sub Connor. All his athleticism, even though it could be enough to wax most people in the 155 division, I mean, just starch them. It really comes in the overhand right and, and the big explosive knockout and, shots because he doesn't want to drop levels. He doesn't want to shoot. No. And if he wanted to, he could dominate. He couldn't. But Connor eats those people a lot. Always. He, he, Historically, and, like. Eddie, That's his bread and butter. Eddie Alvarez, who obviously is even the wrestler Michael Chandler was, but was a great grappler. He baited Eddie Alvarez for 30, 45 seconds it. to boxing with him. Next thing you know, he's oh. making history. So, so I think I think even though it's a very, very tough, because we still have not seen, obviously, Habib is a different, like, that's almost like it's, different out, level. it's an outlier. But in terms of the fights that McGregor has had a shot in, a competitive shot in, the only time we've ever seen someone truly, I know Nate choked him out and tapped him by taking the back yeah, end. He the gassed. Hooks. Exactly. He gassed and went for the takedown. Connor shot and yeah. Nate just sprawled and stuffed it. In terms of him actually getting dominated in wrestling, it hasn't happened to them since the Mendez fight. No. And then once they got stood up, he took the wind out of Mendez by attacking the midsection and then knocked, knocked him, him out. out. The but Poirier fight. Right, exactly. Poirier in the third fight. That but, was. And that was very different. It was just odd. It was an odd yeah. sequence. It wasn't so much a wrestling game plan being, you know, executed. If Chandler were to actually execute a wrestling game plan, this could really go in his favor. If you watch Michael Chandler roll, just doing jujitsu with guys like Kamaru Usman, he's incredible. But he does. He he's wants, not going to do it. He wants to throw leather. Yeah, he's, he's one of those guys. He's like a. I, 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 he's probably a much more successful fighter in the in the grand scheme of things than Big Rig because the fall off. The fall rig. off for Hendricks was so big. But again, you get these wrestlers who they get a couple of knockouts in, under their belt. They like throwing leather. They forget what brought them to the dance in the first place. Listen, man, we we've seen it time in that counter left from Tyron McGregor. Woodley. Big Big Rig was undone by Usada, yeah. but like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but between him, Tyron Woodley, all, all these guys, mm-hmm. Justin Gaethje has phenomenal wrestling background. Never uses like, it. Never use it. Yep. They use it. You know, you get a sprawl and brawl. Romero, he's a oh. silver medalist. I, don't know, I can't remember. You could name on one time how many times Yoel actually attempted a shot. shot yeah. As a silver medalist it's from Cuba, who has one of the best wrestling lineages of anybody. Brawling, and that's that's what they do. And I think Connor is this is the best matchup for Connor in his return. It's sprawl and brawl. Yep. And it's, if you can't do it here, Connor, you're never going to do it again. And I think he's going to win. He's going to win by knockout. And then That's, it's title time, baby. And, that, and because you know what? But it's almost, I can't even roll my eyes at it. Because even if Chandler were to win, Chandler has had, you look at his record since entering the UFC, He's fucked and, and it's all, look at, like, that's what I'm saying. And by the edge of a knife. Yeah. Like, you look at what Michael Chandler's done. It's like, I still watch him. I think, this is one of the four best lightweights in the world without question. Oh, hands down. No doubt. He's not a gatekeeper no yet. Like, doubt. he's like. And that's why. You're, you're in for a tough ass knife. And just like McGregor, even though he's nowhere near as well-rounded, since uh, Chandler likes to minimize his skill set in those fights, it plays in O'Connor's favor with the boxing, with the counter-striking, the, that left hand. Next thing you know, McGregor's back in the title picture, but it makes sense because both these guys, they're they're not riding momentum, but their stock has not plummeted Connor at all. Connor is the title picture, by the way. He is. He's not in it. Like, he is. He wins this. This is just a warm-up. Yeah. He's good. If he wins this, then People it's him see- versus the winner of Usman and Leon Edwards. No doubt. And Hamzat yeah. is either going to have to challenge at 185 
or wait his turn. And then and then for Chandler, it could be a whole new chapter of his career because if he were to win, maybe he continues to test the welterweight waters, even though, maybe. Even maybe though he gets stopped I, again I agree. I, there's a lot of big guys there that would be a bad matchup yeah. for him. But again, a win over Connor can, oh, you know, makes you, I mean, look what it did to Nate Diaz. It what puts it does you, to Dustin. It puts you in, exactly. It puts you in a conversations you once weren't in. We saw it with Poirier. We saw it with Diaz. It's it's it, it's the Connor factor. It takes care of you for life yeah. in MMA. Absolutely. Really Jorge Masvidal still making money. Bingo. Because he beat a guy who wants to beat Conor McGregor. Mm -hmm. He didn't even have to beat Conor. No. It's just he got a secondary rub. And, yeah. and he's just cashing with a, out. With a hanging eyelid. As a BMF. Yeah. So it's, I, it's I, crazy. My, yeah, my apologies for going off on a tangent there. But again, I had to get your thoughts because that's a juicy matchup. And we always kind of thought once Chandler came over, it was eventually going to happen. Chandler's gotten every dream fight he wanted. Mm -hmm. He is the best booked person, oh. arguably, in UFC history. Yeah. So as, as long and Look, the, people the, say he waited too long, the, the UFC power. didn't sign him long. He got the exact run he wanted. After fighting every major star in Bellator like three times. Yeah. yeah. It, it, he, perfect timing for yep. him. He's cashed out to the point where he got to cash out. He's going to cash out on McGregor fight. And that's it. That's that's the best you can hope for in wait. a career like that. And on top of it all, we're going to have an ultimate fighter season. Oh. Proceeding all of it, building it up. Snakes in the grass. Absolutely. Uh, ultimate fighter Connor is a, a whole different level. So can't wait to <laughs> see <male>. that. Uh, <laughs> let everybody know where to find your show. Yeah, absolutely. Lawson. Yeah, you can, well, first and foremost, just call, uh, catch me on Twitter at Brett Lawson LV, as well as all the other social media platforms. My show is on Go Live Vegas, which is a uh, digital network. So much like the way you could catch the corner on all social media platforms on demand. We also are live. So it's both, fun it functions as both a live broadcast and a podcast. So catch us on Go Live Vegas, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram. We also have a Roku uh, TV channel. So catch it on your smart TV there. Always different ways to watch it. And if you want to catch the audio, we have a live 24 seven feed where you could download the mobile app where when uh, shows, any of the live shows or the podcast aren't airing, you get a 24 uh, seven music bed playing the best of the eighties. So, we got you on audio. We got you on video. We got you on live. We got you on uh, after the fact with all the episodes archived. So find me there. Student of the game every uh, Wednesday at one Pacific time right here live from Las Vegas. Not too far from where we are actually right now. And I could actually, I might as well plug it right now. Yours truly will yes, join sir. me on the upcoming episode. So again, catch it there. And again, follow me on Twitter, Brett Lawson LV. It, uh, fun stuff, especially in the wake of the Super Bowl, because now you have to scrape the bottom of the barrel for content. <laughs> but with everything happening in the NBA and the fight game and even baseball, your favorite sport yes. on the horizon, there's going to be a lot to talk about. So I look forward to having you Championship on. Championship number 28, baby. Oh, you know it. The quest for 28 <laughs> is now under or about to be underway. Yes, sir. All right. You guys don't go anywhere, though. Still have a UFC guest. You guys don't want to miss this. Plenty of shows still to go. I'm going to let Lawson get out of here. We appreciate you all. Don't go anywhere. UFC guest. Coming up right after this. What up, everybody? Quick break. We promised a guest. We are back fighting this weekend. The UFC Apex here in Vegas. Jamal Hoag's on the line with us, man, taking some time out during a very, very busy day. I appreciate it. I know our interview together is important. What's more important is that Moms is coming into town to watch you fight. So I understand. You got to pick up Moms. You might have to be moving it around. I appreciate you for joining us today. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. 
quick question before we get into the fight, before we get into some of your background. Is mom's cool with you being a UFC fighter? Like, how did that conversation go? Like, when you have to look at her and be like, you know what, mom? I'm going to get punched in the face for a living. But uh, this, this is what your son shows. Was she cool with this? Is it something she's always been on board with? You know, uh, in the beginning, though, it was. I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, <laughs> it was definitely against it. Um, I had a lot of different opportunities in a sense. Like, you know, I'm not had a lot of opportunities I could have went into. But then, you know, fighting was the one that I always loved to do. So that was definitely wasn't like what she wanted. But I think as time went on, she seen that I was happy with it. She seen the people that I was impacting with it. And, you know, eventually my mom was like, well, shit, I'm not going to stop them. So I might as well just get on board. <laughs> All right, I feel like mom. I ain't gonna say she she didn't deny it. She didn't like she didn't like try to you know most parents try to tear you down. It's not that she didn't tear me down. She just didn't accept it all the way. That makes sense. Now you on TV, she could watch you in person. She gonna see you handle yeah. business this weekend. So I know mom's is of course yeah. biggest cheerleader now. But it's it's crazy, right? Because a lot of people may not still follow your career that in depth. You are in the UFC. You're trying to make you know, a name for yourself, trying to make sure that your star continues to grow. But you look down your resume as a fighter. It's like, yo, you've been fighting for a while. So you started this journey 2013. This marks your 10-year anniversary as a fighter. How oh, do you... Oh, for real? Oh, yeah, it really does. Oh, man, don't do that. Yeah. Don't do that. <laughs> I don't want to make you feel old in here. 10, 10 years as a fighter right now. It's 2023. Yeah. What has this journey been yeah, like from yeah. that, that first amateur bout till now being in the UFC? A lot of, a lot of fighters dream of this. You are now here. Yeah. You are one of those that have made it. You know, man, I'm going to be honest with you. I say the only thing I probably would have changed anything would probably be more patient. But to say that I'm finally here, man, is... It's a dream come true. You know, I mean, we look at the fights, you know, obviously my first amateur. I remember December 7th, 2013. I know the exact date. Um, uh, but I've been training since I was 13, you know. So it just, it's just crazy to be here because, you know, it's a lot of stuff that happens, a lot of bumpy roads, a lot of lows. You know, you got the peaks and the valleys, you know, and, you know, I'm just more proud of myself for sticking it through, you know, and, and just giving my best foot forward. And now I'm here. I always love asking this question to fighters your age, 27 years old, said you've been training since you were 13. You're really part of that first generation that grew up with MMA as an option. Like, as, as a true, yeah. like, yo, you're young enough to always train MMA. Do you feel like that's been, like, an advantage maybe you have over the guys that you're fighting who are 30, 35, some people still fighting 38, 39, 40. Do you feel like being able to train and know what this sport is at a younger age is giving you and fellow fighters your age an advantage? Yeah, man. Uh, I think we get a we get a, a start to it. You know, it wasn't like when I started. You know, I started with jujitsu. Um, eventually, got into wrestling. Eventually, got into boxing. You know, because a lot of guys, you know, they're building as as well as and they're building in their career. You know, and. The difference between, like, this younger generation and older guys, which I'm always give respect to, you know, they got experience. They got life experience. They have, you know, families. They got all this stuff. And, you know, a lot of us younger guys, you know, always had the skill set. And, you know, um, don't people forget that I am a black belt in jiu-jitsu. I beat a lot of top dudes. 
Um, but, you know, ultimately I always wanted to fight, so I didn't really pursue too much in my jiu-jitsu career, but I do got some good wins over a lot of people, uh, good, pe- good people in the jiu-jitsu world. But, you know, like I always told people, once once I get the, the mind right and once I get the, you know, just, just, just give me some time until I get this mind right and then I'll figure it out. And once I figure it out, you know, it's going to be a different story. But I definitely feel like it, it was a big advantage, you know. And shit, I'm scared of the even newer generation because um, you got to realize back in the day, amateur fight wasn't even a thing. You know, you went straight to pro. Yeah. And then, you know, I'm the generation that started with amateurs. But mind you, now they got kids paying creation. And these, I got kids that's fucking fighting at like eight, nine years old. I'm like, damn, these dudes going to be a fucking vet yeah. by the time they're like 18 years old because <laughs> these guys are, these guys doing the same. Well, I mean, like, I mean, I had to do wrestling tournaments. I did jujitsu tournaments, you know. Um, I did a lot of smokers. I mean, you know, like smokers weren't legal then, but like now it's, it was, you know, frowned upon. But now I'm sitting here like you got these kids and kids pancreation, you know, doing jujitsu tournaments. Like these kids already blue belts. These kids are, you know, they're hitting the Muay Thai fights. I'm like, man, these kids going to be a beast. But definitely that, that new generation coming in, you know, the only thing I'll tell these younger guys is just be patient, you know, and, and uh, you got the skill set, but let their mind develop as well. You talk about being patient. Two stints on Dana White's Contender Series. How hard is that, like, 2019 to go win? People are like, oh, you win, you're in. But that wasn't the case for you. You win, and then it still takes three years. It takes a full pandemic. So now you go, you fight in LFA, you take another fight. It. What was that like? In fact, you ended up losing that next fight after Contender Series and then worked your way back. Got to win this time, and now you're here in the UFC. What was it like winning, but but still not getting what you thought you would get with that win, which is a UFC contract? And is it sweeter now that you had to wait the extra three years? Yeah, man, I, it's it's a lot of experience in between that time. Uh, like I gave my heart and soul in that first contenders, and and pe- when people watch it, you know, everyone even says I should have got in the first time, but you know, it's he say she say, but I'm here now, so you know, but. You know, I think that's what hurt me the most. I'm, I'm not going to lie to you. Was I was Man, I, it hurt me, man. I was broken. I was like, I gave my all. Just like one of my best performances I ever gave. I gave a well-rounded performance. And it was against a good a top opponent. And, you know, when you follow that around, like, I go back. You know, I get signed to LFA. Thank you so much, LFA. Never dissing LFA because uh, they definitely gave me a chance to just work my way back. But it was like I hated the sport, you know, and... And it was like, man, why the, why, why the hell am I doing this? And I should be in the UFC now. And it's all credit to my opponent and everything. It's nothing against him, you know. I mean, we, we trained years later after that, you know, here in Vegas. But it's like, how do you go from giving one of the best performances in your career, knowing that you should be in the UFC, and then you go back to a lower stage? And it's, it's kind of hard to just motivate yourself to get back up. And that's why I say like this, you know, it's, it's, it's the journey, you know. And... Obviously, I knew I was a lot better than what I performed on. And then, you know, the next fight I had to put on a show, and which I did. And then, you know, life happened, man. It's, you know, I have two boys that, that are my cousins, but not mine. But, you know, I took on two, you know, two teenage boys, raising them to be a man, even at like, you know, being 27. You know, one's 13 now, had them for two years, and the other one's uh, 18. You know, taking on that responsibility, being like the big brother type. And then, you know, just life itself. So it's kind of hard to, you know, put it all in together, but it just made it much more sweeter, you know, when I got this, con- got the, the last contenders fight and I got the contract because, you know, I'm telling these boys, hey, you got to 
you know, I'm trying to teach them how to be a man, to stick through things, to push through the hard times. And then it made me have to like be a man of my word as well. So, you know, we can always talk about some of these things, but when you actually have to put it in action and show, it's a whole different story. And, you know, I, I thank these kids a lot, man, because they, 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 they made me mature definitely a lot for sure. That being said, now you, it's at the apex, but it's, it, you're at, you're in the show. Right? Like it's it's on TV. Yeah. Now it's time. It's it's go time, right? You're in the UFC. Yeah, for sure. Do you feel like you're more prepared than you would have been four years ago? Like are you now grateful when you look back? Yes. Like, man, you know what? I'm I'm yes. glad I'm here now. You know, it's funny, I have a I'm I've been talking, you know, one of my like mentors, and we we're just on the phone today. And, you know, we always talk during especially even more on fight week. I mean, we talk all the time, but then fight week, you know, we just always end up having like hour long conversations. And, you know, we're, you know, just telling about like my, my mentality coming into fight week, my mentality when I train, you know, it, it, it took life lessons to help me like hone in and just really just stay focused and really, you know, it's just a different mentality. So I feel like I had to get a lot of life experience to help me for moments like this, you know, and that's what I feel like I brought back to the game was I, I got the life experience I've always had the skills, but then I brought the life experience and mentality to bring my way back. So it definitely made a big difference. If I felt like I've already gotten to UFC 2019, I'm going to be honest with you now. I, um, I don't know. I probably would have, not going to say I would have been out, but for sure would have been, man, it would have been definitely a bumpy road because I had to mature a lot as a person, you know, and I just feel like now is just a good time. I just like the way life and God planned everything out. It all happens for a reason. This weekend, looking for that first official UFC win. How do you get it done? You went to LFA. You showed the skills, all well-rounded. Both contender series wins were a decision. But do you feel like coming into this, one, you're not even your prime yet. 27, like, you're yeah. years away from your prime. Yeah. Do you feel like, okay, I know I belong here. Do you feel a stoppage victory coming in, especially when you see your opponent? No, You know, it's not about the opponent. Uh, and I'm going to tell you this now because everyone says, oh, if you do this or you need a win, you need that. I'm going to be honest with you. Um, fighting is a little bit different now. I'm not forcing anything now. And I feel like now since I'm not trying to force things in the fight and I'm letting fights, like let, I'm letting these fights come to me, you know, I think that's what we saw a lot in my last fight was a lot of people talked about my maturity and how calm I was. They were like, man, you walked in there like you were a 35 vet. And I'm not, I mean, I'm a 22 fight vet if you have my amateur career, but, you know, um, it's getting to the point now where I'm getting more comfortable in there and, and I'm more confident, more comfortable, and it's making me try more things out there and I'm letting the fight come to me. Do I feel like I can get a finish? For sure, so it's holes in this game that I feel like I can get a finish. But, you know, ultimately I got to realize that I got to fight my game and do my best. And um, I know if I fight my game, I can expose a lot of these holes, you know, and I need, you know, I, I let everybody know I'm getting that bonus this weekend. You know, my, my palm's been itching. <laughs> and a lot of people don't get that know what that saying. Oh, well, we know what that means. My palms been itching a lot. Yeah, my palms been my palms been itching a lot the last like four or five times the last hey, couple of weeks. It feels like fifty k. So you, <laughs> it feels like it feels like it's gonna be a fifty k night. So you know, but uh, no, nah, man, this is the fight coming to me, man. And, and and you know, it's like I say, it's that's the difference between me now and other fights. It's like, man, I, I have nothing to prove anymore. I just go out there. And I, I got to prove it to myself and fight for me. You know, you always feel like you got to fight for something. You got to prove something. Trust me, I've seen the videos, I've seen the interviews, I've seen the talks, I've seen, 
man, I've seen everything and I can bring every scenario into it and I can and I can prove every scenario that I had, you know, like coming into a fight, things I was going through, but that doesn't matter. At the end of the day, when Saturday comes, it's about getting my hands raised. And and then I'm gonna make another statement again because I'm I'm improving and I'm getting more comfortable. I'm working on my skills. I'm working on Come on, man. I was out for two years yes. and you gave me a fight four weeks notice. Fuck, bro. Like, I don't think people give me credit. You gave me a two-time national champ in Muay Thai and I outstruck him. And and on a four weeks notice, it's like, damn, man, like, give me some credit, but it's okay. Like, it doesn't matter because people are going to talk. So let me just get, get my hands raised. Motherfuckers going to have to keep seeing my face. And, you know, and we just go, we take the fight at a time. But, you know, I'm excited for this Saturday, man. It's a dream come true. You know, I put on that fight kit today and Felt like a kid in the candy store, man. It was. It felt good. It felt. I felt like this is where I need to be. No, it's great. We can't wait to watch. Uh, again, it's it's great to see people overcome that adversity. I love hearing the story about your cousins and just having and uh, just having those strong role models in life means so much, right? So it's it's amazing. It doesn't matter that you're only like nine years older. In in one case, to one mm-hmm. of your cousins, like that matters so much. Me and my close Andreas. Who's a, it's his birthday today. He's not here. But um, we talk about Happy that birthday, a, a lot on our show of like having positive black role models, right? Like, and, and not those we see on TV, not social media, but those in your life. Yeah. And the ones that you yeah. see go through it. And uh, I just got to say, man, that that's amazing for what you're doing for them, what you're doing for everyone that watches you and learns this story and see what you've gone through, where you're coming, where you're going in the UFC, combat sports, but MMA in particular needs these stories. They need people like you. So I appreciate it. I appreciate you sharing that. Um, can't, can't wait to watch your fight. Thank you, man. And, you know, uh, I just want to make sure, you know, I've always said, like, I'm always telling everybody I'm going to be all right. You know, no matter what it is, I'm going to be all right. And, I, you know, that's my mindset to everything is I'm going to be all right. You know, I'm going to figure it out. Um, and, you know, I believe in myself more than anything. And, you know, I had a lot of trials and tribulations in those two years that I was out of the fight game. And I feel like those are some of the lessons that I needed, you know, and I pray for them. You know, that's one thing I can tell people. I pray for some of those things to happen. You know, I remember my last fight in LFA. I know I won. I didn't like my performance, you know, and I was just like, you know, I sat down in the hotel room. I just prayed to God. And I was like, man, give me, give, I'm better than this. I know I'm better than this, you know, and I was like, just help me get there, you know, and be careful what you wish for, you know. Uh, damn exactly. sure gave it to me. Listen, you know, don't know. Damn <laughs> sure gave it to me. You, you gave it to me. Pray for the hard times, though, right? Like we we don't pray for the easy times. Yeah. The easy times come after. Yeah, so now you know, I, gave it to me. You man, know, gave it to me. I, I can't can't then, wait. You know, and that's the thing. Coming back, that's what that's what we're doing, man. Since I came back, you know, it was like it's one of the things. Hey, man, four weeks. You want to go fight? So and so. I said, man, let's do it. Shit, I've been shit. Can't be worse than what I've been through already. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know what I mean? You know, like I said, I've been I've been consistently I mean, I've been consistently back, you know, I was probably like six, seven months in, you know, back training. You know, I wasn't even looking to fight, I was looking to fight at the end of the year. Then it just kinda happened and sprung on me. So I did it, you know, and I got done with the fight and then, you know, I've been back just just grinding and you know, I man, kinda got my groove back, you know. That that ring rust does does take in a factor sometimes. You know, I feel like it was a lot of things missing, but like you said, man, I'm living in my prime, man. You know, you got these guys in their thirties and all this stuff and and I'm getting better each fight. I'm getting more confident. Um, and, and it's and it's coming into each fight, you know. And it's like the things I had to build myself up, and I go take the last fight. 
and I took some of the old things and I worked on these new things I had to work on. And I'm coming into this fight, you know? And then when I leave this fight, I'm going to be like, damn, I'm glad I worked on those new things. Let's work on some more stuff and let's use it again, you know? So, and, it, and it's really missed me growing as a person and me growing as a man, number one, which is finally translating to fighting. And I felt like I had to get a lot of my mentals out the way. You know, I had a lot of, a lot of things I had to go through, a lot of demons, a lot of insecurities, a lot of doubts, you know, and, and definitely just because of the way I grew up and the things I've been through, I didn't believe I deserved a lot of this shit. And then now, you know, I feel like I'm like, I ain't gonna lie to you. I got that contract, man. And I said about fucking time. And I think people thought I was playing around, but I meant that. I was like, man, about fucking time, man. And that's really what I'm just doing my due diligence now in the gym every single day. Just working, grinding, putting in the work, staying positive, you know, um, working on my weaknesses and, you know, and, and it's just going to show again on, on Saturday night. And everybody keeps saying I'm calm going into this fight week, going into this fight week again. But it's really like, man, I've been through the ups and downs so much. I've doubted myself so much for so many years. And now, now since I'm confident, people see my confidence now, they're telling me I need to slow down. I'm like, shit, hell no, I'm trying to gain some more. <laughs> don't, don't humble me no more. I ain't trying to be humble, man. I'm, you know what I mean? I, and it's a different one. I, I got humility. But, you know, everybody try to tell you to be humble. Why? Because you guys are, your confidence is low. Don't, don't, don't bring me down to your level, man. Just rise up. So, And that's what I'm doing. Each fighter just bringing a different mentality, just growing as a person, just helping me grow as a fighter. So I'm excited for this weekend. Nah, man, I can tell the energy is radiating. The bounce is there. I, I'm hyped now. I'm, I'm with you. I can't wait. I'm be in front of the TV going crazy. Now, thank you so much for joining us thank today. You so much, nah, yeah, it's, again, amazing, amazing to follow your story and, and hear all about that. Can't wait to see you put on one hell of a performance. Let's get that 50K, though. You know, try, you know, try hey, to get that I'm money in the palm. I'm telling I'm you, let's, let's, let's get hey, look, it. All I'm saying is, mom, mom, mama need a brand new purse, you know what I mean? <laughs> and it's, uh... <laughs> tell mom's it's coming. Like that, tell, tell mom's to pick it out. Mom's is coming, mom. My balls just get ready, you know what you need, you know. And it's now, like I said, we we taking care of our we taking care of our family now. We, you know, I'm living my dream, man. I can't I can't ask for anything more now. It's just it's just this was just give this the best run we have, man. And and I'm not going to stop myself, limit myself to nothing else. So that's why I'm excited. That's can't why wait. I'm excited, man. We are and excited. That UFC uniform looks nice. <laughs> we are excited as well. <laughs> everyone, <laughs> everyone, man, make sure. Make sure, make sure you watch Jamal's fight this weekend. UFC, it's on ESPN Plus. Check it out. He's going to crush the apex. Thank you for joining us today, Jeremy. Now, go inside. Thank enjoy you, your fam. Relax the rest of the day. Hit this weight cut. Can't wait to see everything. Everyone listening, man, come on. Jamal's incredible. Make sure you guys follow him. Follow his fight this weekend. Follow us on social media, at Corner Podcast underscore. On Twitter, Corner Club for Life on Instagram. At Corner Pod on TikTok. Check out the YouTube, the Corner Podcast on there as well. The old man, of course, is not here. It is his birthday. Make sure you guys hit him up. Wish him happy birthday. Brett Lawson, my boy, coming through, co-hosted with me. It was amazing. Need to have him in here more often as well. Make sure you guys follow him. He dropped all his stuff before the break. Huge wrestling show coming up on Thursday. Don't miss that. Elimination Chamber this weekend. Producer Cole, Bay Bay, back in the house on Thursday. Always great to get his wrestling insight. So plenty more combat sports coming up. We're just getting started for the year. Till next time, we're out.